Amen. I want to invite you to stand very quickly as we, amen. I'm not going to continue to, um, we're not going to continue in our series Unstoppable, but I will be reading out of the books of the book of Acts. And I want to share something with you that the Lord had gave to me. And it's more of a gentle reminder, amen. And I I want to say that this really, really tugged at my heart and it really just brought back or brought me to a place, amen, where I first started my ministry and it wasn't so much the location or the things that we did, but the desire that we had, the fire that burned inside of our hearts for the things of God. Man, we could say that, yes, we might have been younger and might not have had as much responsibility as we do now, but the word of God never changes. It's the same today for the, it's the same today, yesterday, today, forevermore. The task at hand never changes. The job that God has designed and set for us to do, set out for us to do, it never changed. We changed. And this just brought me back to that place. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I want to read briefly in Acts chapter 1, uh, 7 through 8. And then we're going to read um, not all of it, but we'll read uh, Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Amen. So starting in the book of Acts. And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or season, which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all of Judea, Samaria and to the end of the earth and in Matthew it reads in um, 28, 19 go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit which all are one, amen can I get amen teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you and lo I am with you always even till the end of the age amen you may take your seat saying amen amen monetary gain and or loss our financial status is so crucial that it determines just how far we go and what we do a term to identify and to determine this is known and called our net worth. It, it is an, it's an indicator of our overall financial stability and health. When you hear someone say that that person is worth five million, two million, ten million, twenty million, a dollar, whatever the amount is, it's based on their net worth. And just one thing to note that our net worth isn't about our income. Your income doesn't even factor into your net worth. Instead, your net worth includes your savings, your investments, and your debts. Your net worth is your asset minus your liabilities. Now, I just want to give you a... a uh, paint a, a quick picture for you so you can understand where we're at and where we're going. An example of your assets could be your house, your car, your savings, your stocks, your bonds, your investments, retirement accounts. 
You get all those together, you add them up, and those give you your total assets. Your liabilities will include your debt, your mortgage payment, your car payment, student loans, personal loans, whatever you owe. You add all those up, you total it, you total it up. Amen. And then you minus your assets from those liabilities and your true net worth. Amen. This, this gives you your true net worth. This lets you know what you can and cannot do. Whatever remains is simply what this world would indicate your worth is, what your status is. This ultimately determines our status. And this is what drives and motivates us. This is what pushes us. This is what causes us to do the things that we do. We work hard. We get up late. We get to work early. We leave late. We start a business. We hustle. We do everything we have to do because ultimately we want to get to the point to where we achieve financial freedom. Amen? Once you obtain financial freedom, you can do what you want, go where you want, buy what you want to buy, live how you want to live. That is the American dream. It's our blood, sweat, and tears, our minds, and even, amen, our most valuable resource is given to this, our time. The basis of our net worth, our money, is the answer to everything. If not, the Bible would not say so. In Ecclesiastes 10.19, it reads, A feast is made for laughter, a wine maketh merry, but money answereth to all things. Without money, you can't eat, you can't buy, you can't go, you can't do. We work hard to gain and capture like what I mentioned is called the American dream. We understand the importance of our net worth here on earth. We work hard to achieve this. We do all that we can. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm in agreement with that. I want that for myself too. I want that for my family. And if that's you, well then praise God. May God give you the strength, the wisdom, and the knowledge to do so. Because while we live here on earth, we all want to live a good life. Amen? Amen? We all want to have, or eventually one day, we'll reach financial freedom. We'll be to that place where we can do and go and do all the things that you ever wanted to do, everything that you ever dreamed of doing. This is why we work. This is why we push ourselves. This is why we invest our time, our money, and our effort. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. The only thing is that we have to be careful of is that we don't fall in love with the idea of the American dream. That we don't allow it to consume us, to consume our hearts, our minds, our thoughts. Amen. And in 1 John 2, chapter 2, 15 through 17, it says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, your achievements, your goals, comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Has someone say amen? So what about the will of God? This logic of the network that I explained to you, 
This idea of what it is and the value that it brings and what it, de what it determines has no value in his kingdom. Because the basis of money and our achievements are neither one translated or used the same way according to God, his word, and his will. As a matter of fact, money has no value whatsoever when it pertains to God. Let me remind you that heaven is paved with streets of gold. Heaven's gates are decorated and adorned with precious gems, jewels, and pearls. You see, because what we value so much here on earth and what we strive so hard to obtain here on earth in heaven, God just uses it to walk on and mere decorations. How many of you, when you decorate for the holidays or you decorate for a party or whatever you decorate your house with, when people come over, when it's all said and done, what do you do? Pack it right up, put it away. Sometimes you forget where you put it. Sometimes you forget where it's at. It breaks. It loses its value. It loses its shine over time. The color fades. Just like the word of God said, it fades away, it goes away. But how many of you know when you invest your time into the things of God? How many of you know that when your treasures are not here on earth, but they are in heaven? Amen. That they will last for an eternity. Amen. That the work that you do is not in vain. Amen. It will never come back void. Amen. But that everything you do for God and unto God, amen, will last for a lifetime. You see, God did not come down from heaven to endure the pain that he endured, to die on a tree, to bow his head, to die, for us to live a lavish life. He did not come down, amen, to die on a cross so that we can live a life that we can call a beautiful and wonderful life because we have this and we have that. He didn't die for us so that we can take account of our own abilities, our own achievements. And live the life that we chose. And live the life that we want to live. That's not why God died on the cross. This is not why, amen, he hung on a tree. This is not why he died and he was nailed to a tree because he loved you and I. This is not the love that pierced, amen, his skin. The love that pierced, amen, the nails that pierced his skin was the love that oozed out for you and I. Because the Bible says that when he hung on the tree, you and I were on his mind. Let me propose a question. And let me ask you something. Because we just read in Matthew what is known and what is called to be the Great Commission. It is what we are called and commanded to do, correct? Amen? It is for us to go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching, and leading them to salvation, baptizing in the name of Jesus. This will also require us to invest our time, our energy, our money, our love, patience, to do what is required of us to fulfill the Great Commission will require for us to remain flexible and to accept the will of God for our lives and then to submit to it. So here's a question. Could your net worth in the kingdom of God be based on the Great Commission? 
How many people will we reach before we hear that trumpet blow? How many people would we have spoken to and shared the good news with before time is up? Could it be that the Great Commission, amen, the, that, the, that the net worth would not be based on money, but on people? Because salvation is for everyone, and we are responsible for telling everyone. Someone say amen. So now money, financial, investments, achievements are now replaced with people are now replaced with making disciples our investment and baptizing in the name of Jesus is now our achievement. Let me say that again. People are substituted now for money. Financial investments are now substituted. Amen. Are now substituted for making disciples our investment and baptizing in the name of Jesus are now our achievement. And if we take the word net in the term net worth and use it as a tool in its literal term, what is a net used for? It's used to capture, to gather, to gain a hold of something. In this case, someone. So, to, so this gives us a whole new meaning on the term net worth, correct? But it also leads us to the meaning in Mark chapter 1 verse 17 where it says, Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. I will make you become fishers of men. So after this brief explanation and modification, we now need to ask ourselves in the kingdom of God, what is my net worth? Y'all following me? What is my net worth? And for just a few short minutes, for a few short minutes, excuse me, I want to speak on this topic, my net worth. And briefly, I just want to point out three different types of nets. Because remember, we're speaking about nets in the literal form and what they are used for. Three different types of nets that we need to become ourselves to create and increase our net worth in the kingdom of God. The first one being is we need to be nets of flexibility. Someone say nets of flexibility. Okay, a few more say nets of, a flexi of flexibility. In Acts 1 through 7 through 8, it says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And the Lord is speaking to the disciples, and he tells them that they shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon them. Essentially giving them everything they need, amen, to fulfill the task at hand. Then it says, we shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And this is very specific. And in literal interpretation, when we apply God's word in physical sense, in terms of distance, it is a charge to share the gospel with our cities, which includes our neighborhoods, our neighbors, and our local communities. And when we look at people in the wider region, we, we then and that reside within the wider region. We're also considering the country that we live in. 
So we're talking about the people that live within our communities. And then we're talking about our communities when we transfer this into the literal sense. And now we're talking about the people that live around our surrounding communities. And then finally, the global, the global perspective as we continue into the nations of the world. So this would make sense since the disciples were given directions to take the gospel to the city of Jerusalem where they were already were. To the familiar region of Judea that surrounded Jerusalem. To the geographically further and culturally different region of Samaria. And to the unfamiliar, the far ends of the earth. For us to do this, to reach our communities, the surrounding areas and the areas we are unfamiliar with, we must be willing to be flexible. We must be willing to allow God to place us in the places that we need to be placed. We must be flexible and allow God to take us to the places that he wants to take us. We need to be flexible and allow God to do and have his will in our lives. We cannot depend on a department and we cannot depend on city groups and we cannot depend on community events. We cannot depend on just one or two people to do this church. We cannot say, well, it's so-and-so's job and it's so-and-so's ministry and so-and-so's doing this and so-and-so's doing that because it's not just for that brother and it's not just for that sister. It's for me. It's for you. For us to go out and to do our part to seek the lost and to spread the good news to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to stop handing it off to someone else. We have to stop handing the baton to somebody else and saying, hey, that's their problem. Let them figure it out. No, my friend, when we get to heaven, we will be charged with the same responsibilities. We will be charged with the same task once God opens up the book of life and he says, okay, brother David, you achieved this and you did that and you went there and you did this, but let me check down in the kingdom of God what your net worth is let me see what oh there must be a typo it says you only talk to five people oh wait wait hold on this I think there's a there must be another typo it says that when I asked you to go here you 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 said you couldn't because of your job Oh, wait, hold on, hold on. It also says here that while you were at that, that, that person's house who needed prayer and they were sick and, and I sent you so that you can pray for them, you made an excuse that you had to leave early. We need to understand that it's not for us to take in our own accountability of what we are doing in this life, but to remember the accountability that heaven is holding us to each and every day to go out to our neighbor, to go out to our neighborhoods, to go out to the surrounding areas and to tell and to share this good news. Someone say amen. This is why I feel that our church is so unique. Our church, City Light Church, is so unique because sometimes we focus on distance and sometimes we focus on the fact that maybe we all don't live, amen, in the same area. And the Lord spoke to me, amen, this week and said, you know what? That's not a disadvantage. That's actually an advantage. This is how I birthed City Light Church because if you look at the map in which we come from, we come from places like Vallejo, Palo Alto, Sunnyvale, Cupertino, San Francisco and Salinas. 
And you know what I envisioned when the Lord spoke to me about this? That's a pretty large net. That's a pretty large net. That net expands not only from city to city, but from county to county. Do you realize that if we tap into this and if we just start to work the fields that the Lord has placed us in and we start to till the fields where we live, we won't have to wait for this place to be filled because we always say one day, one day, one day. Well, why can't that day be today? But it takes for us to get to work in the place in which God has called us to. We have our own Jerusalem to save. We need to get involved and stay involved. The commission is not just for one. It is for all. We must allow it to consume us. In Hebrews 12, 28 to 29, Therefore, since you are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably and reverence in awe, for our God is a consuming fire. How many of you believe and know that his word is also consuming? And when we hide it in our heart, we cannot run from it. When we hide it in our heart, his word begins to burn up every single aspect of our lives. His word, the Holy Ghost, begins to remind us when we're in a certain place, in a certain area. The Bible, hallelujah, says that he will take us out to these places. And the Holy Ghost will speak to you and tell you, go talk to him. Go pray for them. Go tell her I love her. Go tell her it's going to be okay. Go pray for those children. Hey, that homeless guy that you keep walking by, you keep ignoring him because you don't want to give him any money. Why don't you do what Peter and Paul did? And why don't you tell them to get up and give them what you have? We have to be consumed with the Spirit and His will. We have to have ten like faith, like Pastor mentioned last week. When God says go, that we would pull up our stakes and go and move on and do what God tells us to do. Those things that he mentioned last week about where he started in his ministry while I was sitting there, this is what I was referring to at the beginning when I started. I didn't, it didn't remind me of the places that I went, the things that I did when I was younger. What it reminded me of was a desire that I had. I, I, I didn't hesitate to get up and go. I didn't hesitate to pick up my phone at 2, 3 in the morning to go pray for someone. And I'm not saying I do that now because I don't. I might have a family and I might have responsibilities, but I also know the greatest responsibility that God has placed on my life is to help others. The greatest responsibility that God has placed on my life is to serve others. But it just took me back to that place. And I'm wondering today if you allow God to take you back to that place. That place when you first fell in love. That place when you first said, hey, if they don't want to go, I'll go. If they don't want to do it, I'll do it. I'll call in sick. I'll do what I got to do. But I'll be there. And now we live in a day and age where we're late for dinner. We're late for everything because everything's a priority. What about God? What about God? Go, therefore. This is a call to action. Jesus tells his followers to carry his work out forward. 
He sends his closest disciples out in pairs and towns throughout Israel. He doesn't tell them simply to talk about him, but to carry out his works, to demonstrate his works. He tells them to perform their own healings and their own expressions of spiritual abundance through the authority of his Holy Spirit. He is telling us today to continue his works, to continue through the spirit and authority that he has given us, to continue to teach and to preach and to baptize in the name of Jesus. And for some folks, this is very uncomfortable. For some folks, this is where they tune out the preaching because nobody likes to be made uncomfortable. Nobody likes to be told that they have to do more than what they have to do, especially in the day and age that we are living now. One thing that pastor said, and he mentioned last week, that, you know, we, we celebrate when we do the things that we're supposed to be doing. You know what I call that? You know, that we need to stop celebrating mediocrity. We need to stop cheering on mediocrity. Those are the things we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be getting up to pray. We're supposed to be fasting. We're supposed to be reading our word. We're supposed to be in church on Sundays, Tuesdays. Whenever you have church, you are supposed to be there. And for some, this is very uncomfortable because the priority is not God. The priority is everything else that they're doing. The priority is what they feel is it that it's important to them. But when, we're, but when we're in trouble, but when we need him, but when we need an answer, when we need him to make a way, who's the first one we dial up? Remember that song, call him up, call him up, tell him what you want. What about God? We have to understand that this is not about us. It's not about fulfilling our own desires, our own accomplishments, but fulfilling his will, the great commission. And when we do this and we understand this, we will finally feel comfortable with being uncomfortable. This is why we must remain flexible. The call to action, if you will, requires movement in our lives. It is for us to possibly be placed and then plucked up and then placed again. This will challenge our experiences, our intellect, and even our own will. Because this will take work and work will take sacrifice. Someone ask yourself, what is my net worth? When someone says they made a decision because it was easier... When they make a decision, they say, because it was easier. It was convenient. I'm sorry, my friend, but they made that decision based on their own feelings and their own comfortability. Because that decision was based for them and not for God. Because living for God is not easy. Life is not easy in itself. And if it was so, God wouldn't say in John 16, he says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, you will have trials, you will have troubles. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. When we now depend and rely on God for each and everything that we do, it is him that we depend on and not our money. It is him that we depend on and not our own intellect. It is him that we depend on and not our own experiences. And it is only through him why this life, amen, why this race, amen, why this life and living for the Lord is made easy. In Matthew 11, 28 to verse 30, it says, come to me all thee who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And I am gentle and humble in your heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We've got to understand that this is going to take sacrifice. This is going to take sacrifice to carry out the will of God. It's going to take sacrifice because service comes through sacrifice. In Romans, it says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable and pleasing to God. How do we come before God? Through our sacrifice. How do we please God? Through our sacrifice. How is our worship true and proper? It is made through our sacrifice. There is no way around it. Sacrifice is imminent. What will we do for our brother and our sister? What will we do for our co-worker, our family, our cousin, our grandma, our grandpa, our friend, our relative that doesn't know God? What sacrifices are we willing to make to take them to heaven with us? Will you sacrifice your time? Will you sacrifice your money? Will you sacrifice and invest in someone that needs to know and needs to hear that the kingdom of God is theirs also? We need to become nets, nets that gather, nets that capture, nets that hold on, and nets of acceptance. We not only need to become flexible to the will of God, but we also need to accept the will of God. In Isaiah 55, 8 through 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways. My ways, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. My thoughts higher than your thoughts. The first thing we need to do is we need to understand that it is not our will, but God's will. And that needs to be accepted, and that needs to be held on to. And it's ironic that we're speaking of nets and capturing and fish and fishermen because the example that the Lord led me to was Jonah. Y'all remember the story of Jonah when the Lord came to him and spoke to him and told him to go to Nineveh because wickedness has rose up and they were speaking against God. So he goes and he tells Jonah, get up and go. And what does Jonah do? Jonah gets up, but he runs the other way. He takes off the other way. How many of you are running today? How many of you are running from exactly what God has called you to do? Maybe because you're self-doubt. Maybe because you don't think you're good enough. Maybe because you don't think that, that you have all that you need. I'm here to tell you that you have everything you need. That the devil's a liar and the only way that he can get you from fulfilling the will of God is to continue to lie to you. Because that's exactly what he did to Jonah. He ran the other way. Jonah then goes down to um, Tarshish. He finds a boat and he heads out. He says, I'm gone. Jumps on the boat. And unbeknownst to those men that were minding their own business, by the way, they just started off their day like any other day. Jumped in the boat, got to work, they were fishing, they were probably transporting goods. I don't know what they were doing, but they were on the boat just living their lives. And then all of a sudden the Bible said a strong wind comes. A storm is brewing. And things start to change. Things start to shake up. And these men become fearful. And the captain, they don't know what to do, so they start tossing things off the boat. And then finally he goes down to the bottom of the boat and he finds Jonah. And he tells Jonah, how could you sleep? Don't you know what's going on? Don't you know what's happening? And Jonah wakes up 
and they're still trying to figure out what's going on, what disturbed there seemed to be normal day. So they decided to cast lots. They drew straws, and, and Jonah was the one that drew the shortest straw. So they all look at Jonah and say, what did you do? And Jonah told him, I ran. And this is God that is doing this because of me. We have to be careful when we don't accept the will of God and we decide to turn and run the other way because we can actually cause storms for strangers. We can interrupt other people's lives unbeknownst to them. They say, hey, you're here, you go to church, that's great. But they don't know that you're running. And all of a sudden their day starts to shake up a bit and things start to go wrong and they start to scratch their head and they think to themselves, what's going on? And we think we're there, we're hiding and we're helping. And that's not what we're doing. What we did is we allowed a storm to come into their life because we decided to run. Because we did not accept the will of God. And Jonah tells him, hey, you know what? Toss me off the side of the boat. It's my fault that you're going through this. Do you know that we can unintentionally hurt people that we are intentionally set to help? Jonah didn't mean to hurt them. Jonah didn't mean for the storm to scare them. Jonah didn't mean for any of those things to happen. Jonah immediately knew that he was the fall, that he was at fault. They tossed him out, the belly of the whale. Everybody knows the story. But this is to my point. The Bible says that it wasn't until Jonah was in the belly of the whale that he finally prayed. It isn't until we are in the dark that we see the light. It's not until we actually go through something, church, and we experience hardship where the light goes on, the focal turns on. And we start to think to ourselves, wait a minute, am I doing what God told me to do? Have I accepted the will of God? Because see, it's not, everything's not going wrong because you're a bad person. It's not going wrong because you don't have a good heart. It's not going wrong because God doesn't love you. Sometimes things are shaken and disturbed in our lives because we're not accepting what God wants us to do. We're not advancing. We're not growing. We're not developing. We're not moving. And we're trying and we're trying and we're trying. And we go back to the drawing board. And is it this? And is it that? And, and no. It's none of those things. It's because we have not accepted the will of God for our lives. Some storms are self-afflicting. Some storms occur because of the choices that we make. But I'm here to tell you the good news and I'm here to let you know that if we can just find a place, if we can just find that place where we say, God, you know what? I recognize the error of my ways. I recognize what I've been running from. I recognize what I haven't been doing. You know what, God? I'm going to accept your will today. I'm going to accept your will today. I'm going to receive it. I'm going to carry it through. And I'm not only going to do that, but I'm going to delight myself in the Lord. Because in Psalms 40, in verse 8, it says, delight yourself. I delight to do your will. Oh, my God, your law is within my heart. God did not know. He did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it through you and I. It is our job, amen, it is our responsibility to save a dying and lost world. Amen, stand with me.
the last net, amen, that we need to become and the last net that we need to, amen, to be flexible, to be accepting is one thing. But we cannot do either if we don't submit to it. We have to be nets of submission. We will not accept flexibility, nor will we accept the things of God if we don't, accept, if we don't submit to what God is calling us to do. There are places that God wants to take us. There are people that God will bring before us. There are people that God will use us to save. And there is a harvest that God is waiting to bring. But we've got to submit to this. I want to leave you with this. When the Lord sat in the boat at the Lake of Galilee, the Bible says that Simon Peter was out fishing, toiling all night. And God had just got done to speaking to the multitudes. And the Bible says that as he spoke that they were doubters in the crowd. And so he was speaking to them. And when he got done speaking, he turned around and he said, Hey, Simon Peter, get your nets ready again. Get ready for a launch into the deep. Get ready for another catch. And Peter, being the experienced fisherman that he was, I could imagine him standing at the bow of the boat and saying, what are you talking about? We just got through toiling all night. We didn't catch anything. Peter, at that moment, he was challenged. Simon Peter, excuse me. He was challenged with the command, and he was at odds with the command that came from God it was a pivotal moment there at that time in Simon Peter's life because when God says to launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch Simon Peter had to submit the following he had to submit his experience he was an experienced fisherman he had years of experience of fishing and faced with this dilemma and challenge, what would he do with these instructions from God? How could it be that a carpenter gave a fisherman instructions and a command on how to fish and where to fish? This challenged Simon Peter's intellect, and he had to submit because he says, the scripture says that he caught nothing. And because he was experienced, I'm sure this wasn't his first time that he came up with nothing. This wasn't the first time that he exhausted all his options. This wasn't the first time that he called it quits and says, you know what? Wrap it up, guys. We'll try again tomorrow. This wasn't his first go around. So this command challenged his intellect. And it also challenged his will. Because when God, amen, set forth the command, he said, nevertheless, at your word, I would let down my net. He submitted to it the instructions of Jesus. And by doing so, he acted supernaturally. Peter pro 
Peter proved that at that moment he did not want to remain only an admirer of Jesus Christ he showed that he was also prepared to obey and to submit to him he disregarded his own ego and he refrained from doing what he could only understand he made his own truth subordinate to the divine truth and will of God and what God is saying today God is saying I know that you're trying I know that you're doing I know your heart I know you desire to save a dying world I know you want to save your co-worker your friend a family on and on and on but you got to be flexible you got to accept my will and you've got to submit to my will the Bible said that after Peter Simon Peter submitted that he had to call over the other boat because when he pulled up his nets his nets were bursting with fish his nets could not hold the, the, the harvest his nets could not hold amen the fish and he had to call over the next boat and he threw the fish and he shared it over with the next boat and the Bible said that both boats began to sink when I stand before you and I tell you in my spirit that I see this church full when I stand before you and tell you that we've got 30 to 40 kids in our Ignite Kids group when I stand here and tell you that I envision a church three, four, five times as large as this it's not because it makes for good preaching and it's not to get you to say amen it's because I believe that if we submit to the will of God and if we submit to the great commission and what we are supposed to be doing only time God wants us to reap a harvest church God wants us to reap a harvest but it's not going to be done with one or two people it's not going to be done, be done with a group or an apartment. Each and every one of us have to submit today. We can't care about the things of this world anymore. You know that God loves you so much that each and every day He's going to provide. Each and every day it's going to be there the lights are going to be turned on there's going to be food on the table but you know why God is so good to you so that you don't have to worry and focus on those things and you can worry about what you're supposed to be doing you can focus on who you're supposed to be saving you can focus on who you're supposed to be giving and providing Bible studies to you can focus on that person on the street corner you can focus on your friend your family member is why are your nets empty why are our nets empty why aren't our churches bursting at the seams with people why hallelujah are our church not packed and full of fish so much so that the boats we're starting to sink. When are we ever going to get up to a place where our only concern is, where do we go to next because we don't fit here anymore? And it's not for our glory, church. 
It's not so we can say that we have this and we have that. It's not for our glory. But it's to give God all the honor and all the glory that He would be glorified.